Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. ...to Luke chapter 11. My voice is slowly but surely getting better. I told people earlier today I'm on steroids. Um, so if I start bulging out of my shirt, it's because I'm on steroids. No, the doctor gave me some steroids from my throat. So it's been three weeks now. I've been struggling. Luke chapter 11. He was a rebellious young man with a hot temper. He had a foul mouth. Can we bring the lights up a little bit more, please? He wanted nothing to do with Jesus, an angry young man. In 1748, he found himself on board of a slave ship, a slave ship carrying 600 slaves. There was no regard for human life because if one of the slaves died of smallpox, they would just throw him overboard. And so this young man, who was a slave trader, was on the high seas And a storm arose, and he got very frightened. He got very, very frightened, and under God's providence, he found a book that he was reading in the middle of the storm, and this book talked about having a relationship with Christ, and as he was reading this book, and the storm was raging, he knew in his heart that he was a sinner, he knew in his heart that he was guilty, he knew he was a slave trader, he knew that if he were to die, he would spend eternity in hell because of his sin, and in those moments, he cried out to the Lord for salvation, and God saved this man by his amazing grace. And his tombstone says this, once an infidel and libertine, a slave trader in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. For the next 43 years, this man preached the gospel because he was saved by amazing grace. You may know him as the author of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. None other than John Newton, the man that wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You know, on his deathbed, someone came to him and tried to remind him that he was a slave trader, that he was a wicked man, that he did not deserve God's love. And this is what he said on his deathbed to that man. He said to that man that accused him, I'm a great sinner, yes. But I have a far greater Savior. Many of us have experienced the pain of committing a grievous sin. A sin that breaks our heart. A sin that brings us to our knees in tears. We've committed sins with our thoughts, the things we've thought. 
We've committed sins with our words, the things we've said. We've committed sins with our actions, the things we've done. We are great sinners, but we have a far greater Savior who gives us amazing grace. You see, as sinners, we still battle with sin. We still continue to sin. Paul says in Galatians 5.17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So as we continue to sin, we will continue to need to ask for forgiveness from those sins. And so over the past few weeks, we've been exploring the Lord's Prayer in, in chapter 11. We've seen it as a good model. The Lord's Prayer, it's a model, it's a template of not only what we should pray for, but how we should pray. And there's a certain order to the prayer. The first request starts with what we've been singing. Lord, hallowed be your name. Your name be holy. It starts with worship. It starts with praise, glorifying God, magnifying God. That's where the prayer starts. And then the second request goes into the kingdom of God. Lord, we want your kingdom to come. It's, we want your, your gospel to go forth in power. We want people to hear about your kingdom so they can submit to you as king. And then last week we looked at the third request. Give us this day our daily bread. It's, it's the daily, almost moment-by-moment moment need for God's grace in our lives to give us not what we selfishly want, but what we desperately need on a day-by-day -day basis. And so as we continue through the Lord's Prayer, we get to the fourth request. So let's read it together. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. This is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. In verse 4 there, we see the fourth request. Lord, please forgive us our sins. And so what I want to do this morning with this request is ask four questions. Now these questions may seem basic, but I don't want us to ever forget some of these truths because here's the problem. As Christians, we are lulled into sleep at times by our culture to redefine what the Bible says. And so you've been discipled all week by the world, and so when we come into this place, we need to have our minds and our hearts reoriented to what God's Word says. And so we're going to ask these four questions. So here's the first question that we need to ask. First... Are sins really that offensive to God? Are sins really that offensive to God? This may seem like a basic question, but here's the problem. A lot of times we tend to downplay sin. We tend to minimize sin. We tend to brush over or cover up our sin. We don't call sin for what it is, do we? What is sin? Sin is an offense against a holy God. We use words like, that's kind of a hang-up. It's kind of an issue. It's kind of a habit. 
This is thing I kind of struggle with. We don't really call out sin for what it is. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we deserve for our sin? Death. Now, in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a different word used there. Besides, Luke here uses, forgive us our sins. In Matthew 6.12, Matthew says, forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. Debts. A debt. Something that you owe to God because you've sinned. Rebellion. Something that makes you guilty and offense. We must never forget that our sins make us guilty before God, deserving of death. When we sin, we're basically saying, I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And I could care less what God's word says or what God's law says. I want to go my own way. Isaiah 53, 6 all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sin is flagrant rebellion against God that renders us guilty and deserving of hell. And I'm afraid in our current evangelical culture, people don't want to talk about sin anymore. There's an allergy. There's a virus. This virus, this allergy is I don't want to talk about sin. I don't want to talk about sin. We don't call living together before marriage fornication anymore or sexual immorality. We call it cohabitation. And we basically as Christians have gotten to the point where we can't expect a young couple to not have sex before marriage and live together because after all, that's just what people do these days. We don't call that a sin anymore. We're afraid to speak out and call what the Bible calls sin. This live stream may be canceled this morning, so be prepared if you're watching it because they may be flagging us, okay? Homosexual behavior is sin. Abortion, killing an unborn child in the womb, is sin. Transgender confusion is sin. These things are sins. And let me be very clear because we have some Southern Baptist leaders. Our former Southern Baptist president and our current Southern Baptist president have said on numerous occasions that the Bible whispers about sexual sin. Let me just be very clear. The Bible does not whisper about sexual sin. It's very clear, it's very, it's very concise what the Bible says about sexual sin. The problem is, is that many Christians, I think, are frankly embarrassed about what the Bible says about sin. We're embarrassed by what the Bible says. Pride's a sin. Gossip is a sin backstabbing and backbiting and complaining and having a critical spirit is a sin. Jealousy is a sin. Listen to what Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says. There are six things that the Lord hates. Now stop right there. There's six things the Lord hates. I thought God was a God of love. He didn't hate. 
Well, here's a scripture that says there are six things that the Lord hates. What, what do you hate, Lord? Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. God hates sin. The old reformers and Puritans would call it the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Now this may be a basic question, why is sin such a big deal? But I don't want us to get lulled into the flow of the culture that kind of downplays sin and doesn't call sin sin, downplays it, minimizes it. We as Christians need to be very clear. The Bible calls sin, sin. It's a holy offense to a holy God and we are accountable for these sins. And sin deserves death, hell, and separation from God. So yes, number one, Sins are a big deal. They're holy offenses to an awesome God. But let's ask the second question, because if that's all I told you today, you'd go home really depressed. That was kind of a hard-hitting sermon, Pastor Sean. You're all sinners. Go home. Okay? No, that's not what we're doing. Second question. Forgive us our sins. That's the request here. Forgive us our sins. First question, are sins a big deal to God? Yes. Do they need to be forgiven? Yes. But here's the second question. Does God forgive sins? Another basic question. If sin is such a huge offense to a holy God, is it possible to have our sins forgiven? And the answer is obviously yes. But I want us just to hear these scriptures. Let us hear the beauty of the gospel this morning. Sin is a big deal to a holy God, but this holy God forgives sins. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. The Lord passed before him. This is is when God put Moses in the cleft of the rock. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers, on the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is forgiving. The Lord is slow to anger. Psalm 103, three through four. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. If God kept a record of your sins, would you be able to stand? No. But with God there's forgiveness. Psalm 103.12. As far as the east from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Question, boys and girls, how far is the east is from the west? You know how many miles it is? Do the east and west ever meet? No, that's the point. He separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Micah 7, 19. 
<coughs> he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depth of the sea. The depth of the sea. Those are Old Testament passages. Let's look at a few New Testament passages. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. All right. And then Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We could go on and on. But these are some beautiful passages of Scripture, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, that tell us that God does forgive sin. God does cleanse us. God does love us. God forgives sins. We need to hear this truth over and over again, that God does indeed forgive us. So first question, <coughs> excuse me, is sin a big deal to God? Yes, they're offensive. They deserve death. They're debts that we owe. But second truth, does God forgive sins? Yes. Okay, this prayer that Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our sins. So here's a third question. This is a question you may have wanted to, to ask. It's, it's kind of more of a theological question, but let's ask the third question. Why do we need to keep on asking for forgiveness if Jesus paid for all of our sins in full on the cross? Why do we need to keep asking for forgiveness if they're already forgiven? Ever thought about that? <clears throat> if Jesus forgave us all of our sins on the cross, why do we need to keep coming and asking for forgiveness for those sins? So let's just ask a question. Did Jesus fully pay for our sins, past, present, and future on the cross? And the answer would be, okay, thank you, you're awake. Yes. What did Jesus cry out when he was on the cross? John 19, 30. When he received sour wine, he said, it is halfway done, right? Now, what did he say? It is finished, paid in full. Sins paid in full, nailed to the cross, past, present, and future, no longer to be paid for. The writer of Hebrews uses this term over and over again. Hebrews 7, 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus did it once for all. Hebrews 9, 26. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself once for all. Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It is finished, once and for all, never to be repeated. Every single one of our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid in full by Jesus when he died on the cross. 
And when you have faith in Jesus, you have your sins forgiven. You have peace with God. You are justified. Romans 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have a permanent standing of being accepted by God forever. We have peace with God. We're not guilty. We're counted righteous because of the finished work of Christ. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you are fully forgiven by Jesus on the cross, every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. So why do we need to continue to ask Jesus to forgive our sins? Our record is permanent. Our standing is permanent. But when you sin, you feel the pollution, the yuckiness the corruption of that sin. Ephesians 4.30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sin is still an offense to God. And even though we're permanently accepted by Him as our Father, we can grieve our Heavenly Father. The best place I found a description of this is in the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is our confession of faith. In chapter 11, it says this, God continues to forgive the sins of those who are justified, even though they can never fall from a state of justification, they may fall under God's fatherly displeasure because of their sins. In that condition, they will not usually have the light of his face restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, plead for pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Here's the point. If you're a true Christian, you'll never lose your salvation. You'll permanently be accepted. God is always your father. But when you sin, you may experience his displeasure for a season. Think about the relationship I have with my son, Aiden. Aiden lives in California. He graduated from college last year. What would happen if I got a text from Aiden this afternoon and he said, Dad, I no longer want to be your son. I hate you. I, I, I'm abandoning the family. I, I, I'm totally, I don't want you in my life anymore. Now, would Aiden stop being my son? He's still my son, right? Because he's my son by birth. The relationship will always be father and son. Now, Will there be a strain? Will there be a distance? Will, there be a, will I be displeased with his decision? Yes. The intimacy will be affected. The closeness will be affected. The relationship won't. I'm still his father. He's still my son. It's the same thing with your heavenly father. As a child, when you sin, he's still your father. You're still his child. That's not going to change. But that closeness will, that intimacy will, that feeling of his presence not being in your life will kind of overtake you. The intimacy needs to be restored. 
And so what we're doing when we're calling upon the Lord to forgive us, it's not that we've lost our salvation or we've gotten out of God's graces or we're somehow are not, no longer saved. It's, it's that closeness, that intimacy, that nearness needs to be brought back. Think about King David. King David was God's man, right? A man after God's own heart. The anointed king of Israel. <clears throat> the man who wrote all those awesome psalms. The man who killed Goliath. The man who brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, to Jerusalem. The man who stole Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, had sex with her, got her pregnant, and had him killed. That guy. What? What did King David do? He stole another man's wife, committed adultery, got her pregnant, and had her husband killed. He committed adultery and murder and tried to cover it up. And what happened when David tried to cover it up? Well, he tells us in Psalm 32. Listen to David's heart after this episode with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When David was quiet, when David didn't confess, when David didn't come clean, what did he feel? He felt almost physically sick. He felt the hand of God upon him. He felt like all of his strength was zapped. He felt like he was so distant from God. And the moment that he confessed, the moment that he came clean, he experienced that renewal of that forgiveness when he acknowledged his sin. Before, he experienced the fatherly displeasure of God. But then when he confessed, that intimacy was renewed. At no point did David ever lose his relationship with God. At no point did David ever fall out of God's grace. He sinned and experienced the fatherly displeasure. And until he confessed it, that intimacy was not restored. The New Testament tells us this in 1 John 1, 8-9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, that's present tense, which means if we continually confess our sins. Now what does it mean to confess? What does it mean to continually confess your sins? It's the Greek word to agree with God. To say the same thing. Basically, when you confess your sins, you're agreeing with God that what you've done is wrong. You're saying to God, I have sinned. I have done wrong. I've committed a sin. I'm agreeing with you, God, that I have sinned. And so the Christian life is one of honest and ongoing confession of sin to our Heavenly Father. 
And God promises to do two things in this passage of Scripture in 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sins. Number one, he is faithful to forgive us. To forgive us. Now, question, weren't our sins already forgiven on the cross by Jesus? Yes. It's not like God is forgiving us over and over again for what Jesus already did. What God is doing is he's reminding us on the basis of what Christ did that our sins are already forgiven. So when we come to Jesus and we confess those sins, the Father's reminding us, listen, my child, Jesus paid for all your sins. They were taken care of on the cross. The only way you can come to me is because of what Christ has done. Believe it. Believe that your sins are forgiven. Agree with me that you have sinned and believe the fact that I'm faithful to forgive you through Christ. 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. We have Christ as our righteousness. Christ is our advocate. Christ is the one who can cleanse us. So God, number one, promises to forgive us, but number two, promises to cleanse us. Now, what's the difference between forgiveness and cleansing? You may know in your head that you've been forgiven, but sometimes we feel that yuckiness. We feel that lingering guilt. We feel that pollution of, of the sin that just kind of weighs us down. The cleansing is that internal renewal where the Holy Spirit comes in and he wipes your conscience clean. He experientially lets you experience that cleansing so that you know deep in your heart that you have been forgiven. Not only of the actual sins you've committed, but that feeling of guilt and yuckiness. Here's the point. Confession of sin needs to be very specific and particular. Lord, forgive me of my sins. We can be very generic in our confession. No, we need to be particular. Lord, please forgive me for dot, 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 whatever sin it was you committed in, in word or in thought or in deed. Isaiah 118 says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're like crimson, they shall be like wool. Let's reason together. Come and talk it out with the Lord. Come and confess it to the Lord, and he will forgive you. Having a soft heart toward God. Keeping short accounts with God. Not minimizing sin, not covering it up, not downplaying it, but confessing it. Coming clean, agreeing with God that what you've done is sin being open and honest with God, coming to him and confessing, drawing near to God. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So let's retrace our steps. Number one, is sin a big deal to God? Yes. We need to be forgiven of our sins because sins are debts. Sins cause guilt. Sins are rebellion against God. Number two, does God forgive sin? Absolutely. He's a gracious God. He's a holy God. Number three, did Jesus pay for all of our sins fully on the cross? Absolutely, past, present, and future. But we still need to have short accounts with God and confess those sins so that we can experience that cleansing and that renewal. So we don't experience the Father's displeasure. So we can have that intimacy and closeness brought back in the right place. Fourth question. Okay. Very me-centered at this point. Should we forgive others who've sinned against us? Nah. 
No, what does Jesus say there? Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. We're to forgive. That word in, the, in, the, in, the, in Luke chapter 4 is also in the present tense. We're to continue to forgive. Forgiving is not just a one-time thing. It's ongoing. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of peace will be with you. Aim for restoration. Forgive. That, that word restoration was like a doctor mending a broken bone or, or a fisherman repairing a, a broken fishing net. Mend broken relationships. Bring things that are broken back together. Don't hold a grudge. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, this is very important. Keep that, that scripture up there. The world will tell you to forgive. You can watch Dr. Phil. You can watch self-help. You can watch people. The world will tell you to forgive. But what does that passage of scripture say? Why do we forgive? How do we forgive? We forgive because of how Christ forgave us. The only way you can forgive other people is because Christ first forgave you and he gives you the power and the grace to be able to forgive others. Often I will counsel with Christians and sometimes they'll struggle with forgiveness. And I've, I've actually had this happen before. I've had somebody in my office say, you know what, I don't think God's really called me to forgive that person. And I'll say, I beg to differ. God has most definitely called you to forgive that person. Will it be easy? No. Will it be painful? Will it be difficult? Will it be hard? Maybe. But you have no option. You've got to forgive. And the only way we can forgive is because Christ first forgave us. Many of you know who Corey Tinboon is. She and her sister Betsy were in the concentration camps during World War II, Ravensbrück. And they would have to be stripped without clothing to walk across the prison guards. There was this one guard that would mercilessly beat them. He would abuse them. He was a wicked man. And Betsy, Corey's sister, died in that concentration camp. And after the war was over and she was released, Corey Tinboom went throughout Germany, and she would share her testimony in churches about her time in the concentration camp. And that night, she's in Munich. And she's, she's talking about how God had forgiven her and how God sends your, 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 your sins as, as far as the east is from the west and casts them at the bottom of the ocean. And she's talking about forgiveness and forgiveness. And then all of a sudden, the talk is over. And she sees this balding gentleman walking toward her, dressed in gray. It was a prison guard. He used to abuse her and her sister. He was coming toward her, and she began to freeze, like, what am I going to do? I don't want to face this man. And he came to her, and he said, Fräulein, that was a wonderful message. I want you to know something. I've become a Christian, and I treated you horribly. Would you please forgive me? And Corey Tim Boom writes that she was frozen. She didn't know what to do. 
he stuck her hand out to shake her hand and she prayed for strength to forgive. In that moment, she embraced him and said, Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has forgiven you. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. Now, she couldn't do that in her own power. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit can free you to forgive. We must be a forgiving people. We don't do this very good as Christians. I've noticed we don't do this. You know, you know what often happens? When somebody does something wrong to you and they come and confess it, what do we normally say? It's okay. It's okay. I've done such and such to you. It's okay. You know that that's not biblical forgiveness? It's not okay. Because what if they really sinned against you? What you should say is, yeah, you sinned against me. But because Christ has forgiven me, I choose to forgive you. What would happen if God said it's okay to our sin? Would Jesus even need to die on the cross? No, Jesus went to the cross for real sins. And when we sin against each other, it's not okay. They're real sins. And when somebody comes to you and asks for forgiveness, you need to extend forgiveness to them by actually saying the words, I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. But we're afraid to do that. We just say, it's okay. We need to forgive one another. In this fourth request, we see the desperate need for forgiveness. Is sin a big deal to God? Absolutely. Does Jesus forgive our sins? Absolutely. Is his work on the cross finished, paying for all of our sins, past, present, and future? Absolutely. But we still need to ask for forgiveness to restore that intimacy, to get that closeness back, to keep short accounts with God. And because Christ has forgiven us, we need to forgive others. We have no choice but to forgive others because Christ has forgiven us. So as we come today and celebrate the Lord's Supper, what better time to celebrate forgiveness of sin? When the elements are being passed, it's a time for you to confess sin and find the assurance that those sins are forgiven through Jesus. Sometimes we approach the Lord's Supper as kind of a scary thing. I'm too scared to take it because maybe I have too much sin in my life. Yes, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves before we take it. But part of examination is confession, and it doesn't just stop there. When you confess your sins, what does John 1, 9 say? He's faithful and just to do what? Forgive you and cleanse you. So don't ever be afraid to come to the Lord's table. Come to the Lord's table confessing sin, but realizing that when you confess that sin, he's faithful to forgive you of that. See, every time we come to the Lord's table, Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is in heaven. The body and blood do not become literally the body and blood of Jesus. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. But what Jesus does, he sent the Holy Spirit. And when we take the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit ministers a fresh grace to our hearts. When we eat the supper, we're symbolically feeding upon Jesus as he nourishes us. You've heard the message. 
through the prayer and through the preaching. Now we get to eat the supper. And this is God's way of serving us and reminding us of his forgiveness. So let's go to him in the Lord's Supper and confess our sins. And let's hear the assurance that he's faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning in preparation for taking the Lord's Supper. If I sin this morning, take time right now to confess it and believe the promise that he will forgive you. Father, thank you that you are a God who forgives. You're great in mercy and you're abounding in steadfast love and you're slow to anger and you forgive us. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future, once for all, finished work. It is finished. We praise you, Jesus, for that. Holy Spirit, thank you that you come to live in our hearts and that you minister that grace to us that gives us the ability to forgive others. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, help us to experience afresh the promise that our sins are forgiven when we confess them. Lord, I don't want anybody to leave this place feeling down or feeling a lack of encouragement or despair because, Lord, we want to hear the truth that, yes, we're great sinners like John Newton said, but we have a far greater Savior. Lord, we own up to our sin, but we know that, Jesus, you forgive our sins. So help us to find our confidence and our assurance in the finished work of Christ as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.